Good morning, church. How are we today? Good morning, church. How are we today? All right, all right. There we go. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Ben Hurt. They let me be the pastor around here. What a joy it is to gather together to sing of the worthiness of our Savior. Amen. Like no other name is worthy under heaven but Jesus. Let me invite you to open your Bibles now to Acts chapter 5. We are continuing our series in Acts with the theme being to the end of the earth. Now I don't know about you, all, all through our lives we have different events that really change everything for us. Different things that we encounter that radically just kind of transforms our lives and to the point that they'll never be the same. Do you remember the first time that you got a job? Like that first, that first time is like, like kind, of, kind of awesome, but then on the other hand, like all the free time that you had before kind of dissipates. But it, it makes up for it, the fact that now you have money and you don't have to go to mom and dad to ask for money. And you kind of have that freedom to be able to, to buy what you want to buy. How about, you remember graduating high school and how everything really changed after high school. You, you, it's like all of a sudden you're starting to become your own adult. You're having to make your own decisions. You're starting to have to pay for your bills. Like that changes everything when you graduate from high school. Maybe after that you're going to college and, and college is way different than high school. You can kind of decide, I'm going to sleep in today. You guys probably didn't do that, right? I never did that. Uh, or the first time you got a full-time job. Remember that? Like all of a sudden now, every day of the week you are out 8 to 10 hours working, making a living, providing your own rent. Marriage has that thing where it changes everything. If you get married, when you have kids, that changes everything. When you turn 40, it changes everything. Like you remember like as a kid, like if you were sore, it's because you were just going crazy and you did crazy jumps on your bikes and you hurt yourself and that's why you woke up sore the next day. But when you're 40, you wake up because you slept. Like you wake up sore because you slept. Like you have that, like, like getting older changes everything too. Now change is good and bad, right? Changes that come are not always bad. Sometimes they're good. In fact, the change that we're talking about this morning is a change that radically changes those that it gets a hold of. A change that takes us to the next level in our walk with the Lord. And of course, we are talking about the fact that the gospel changes everything. The gospel takes us, takes men and women who were dead in their transgressions and their sins and makes them alive. And we're going to see this morning, we're going to get a glimpse of, of how exactly the gospel has changed the lives of the apostles. And how it changes our lives as well. And so follow along with me as I start reading Acts 5 verse 21. We're going to look at the second part of verse 21. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought but when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them. 
but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they sent them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, that when we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, completely hopeless, with no life in us, Lord, we weren't just sick and wounded, we were dead. And at the right time, Christ came. And Father, we thank you that even though you come and receive us as we are, Lord, you don't keep us where we're at. And you change us forever. Lord, you change us forever. And I pray this morning, I pray that you would help us to see deeper the glory of the gospel. God, that we would walk out of here having encountered you, not through any emotional response, but only because of an emotional response to the truth that we read and hear. And Lord, I do pray that we would leave change because of the good news of the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you recall, last week, the apostles were at it again. They were preaching the people were responding, the sick were being healed, miracles were being performed. And the Sadducees and the other members of the Sanhedrin wanted nothing to do with it. And they became very jealous. They were very jealous over the popularity of the apostles. And everything that was going on, the people were turning their attention away from the Sanhedrin. And they were turning it towards the apostles. And they were angry about it. And so, for the second time, we see that they were locked up. They were put in prison, but as we talked about last night, the work of God cannot be stopped, amen? God's work will carry on no matter what the world tries to do to stop it. And so an angel of the Lord appears to the apostles in prison and lead them out. And what did the apostles do right away? The very thing that got them put in prison. They go and they are preaching the gospel. They're not giving up because they know they have been called to a mission and they can't help. They can't help but pursue what God has called them to do. And so they are out there taking the gospel to the end of the earth once again, no matter the cost. And as we see here in the passage, they go to pick them up and they find that they're lost. And so here's the first thing when it comes to the gospel changing everything. The gospel changes our understanding. The gospel changes our understanding. I'm not sure what's wrong with the slides, but they're not, they're not pushing through. The gospel changes our understanding. Look again at verse 21 with me. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought 
But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And so now it's time to bring the apostles before the Sanhedrin to pronounce judgment, to call them out for what they were doing after they had already asked them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And to their astonishment, they opened the locked prison. So the guards are outside, the doors are locked, they open and they go in and they're gone. And no one has any idea where they're at. And this is perplexing to them. How could they have escaped? There's no sign of them being able to get out any other way except through the, the way they came in. And yet the guards were there, the doors were locked, and they were gone. And they could not understand the ways of the, of the Lord. They had no category for what had taken place. But for believers, we know that the gospel does amazing things, right? We have an understanding that when God comes into the picture and when the gospel rescues us, we see incredible things to the point that it becomes part of our nature. We're just able to, as we grow in Christ, able to see that's the Lord. That's God doing it. But for, but for unbelievers, there's, there's blindness. There's walls that come up where they just can't see the ways of the Lord. They can't understand what is going on. And so, have you taken much time to consider how the gospel has changed you? Or taking much time to consider the different values between the values of God and the values of the world? Drastically different, aren't they? The way the world handles things and how the people of God handle things, it's different. The gospel changes our understanding of how life is to work. Think about this. When you are wronged by someone, what does the world call for us to do? Eye for an eye. Tooth for tooth, right? We're going to get even. We don't get mad, we get even. <laughs> Very righteous, right? Like that's the way the world responds. It's like this is, there needs to be retribution. There needs to be payment for this. I've been wronged and you are going to hear about it. Is that the ways of the Lord? What does Jesus say to us? Jesus actually says, well, well, you've heard it said an eye for an eye. But I say, turn the other cheek. It's a different understanding for believers in Christ. When we are encountered with the gospel, when we come to the point where we realize that we have been forgiven of so much, who are we when we are wrong to hold anything against them? You see, Jesus was the only one who lived a perfect life, who had any reason to be bitter towards those who killed him. And yet, what did he say on the cross? Father. Forgive them, for they do not know what we are doing. And as believers, when the gospel gets a hold of our lives and when we are wronged by someone, sure, we're not perfect in that. But as God continually works in us, he softens our hearts to the point where we realize, who am I to hold anything against this person in light of what Jesus has not held against me? Ephesians 4.31 says, let, us, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. That's different from the world, right? We, we find justification. Well, 
well, I, the, of course he's angry because he got treated that way. Of course he responded that way. I can understand why he did that. And what the writer of Ephesians, what Paul said is like, put that stuff away. Instead, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's a radical different response to when we are wrong than what the world has to say. That's what we are called to do. What does the world have to say about truth? Is truth under attack today? I mean, the world is so confused, it doesn't know what is true anymore. You find your truth, I have my truth. If that's the way truth is, then there no longer is any truth, right? If we are declaring for ourselves what we think is true, then truth is no longer relative. It no longer has any meaning for us. But when Jesus came, what did he say? He said, I am the way and the truth. Jesus is the truth. We encounter God's word. He's given us his word so that we may know the truth. So that when the falsehoods of the world come our way, we can compare it back to what God's word says. And we can know what the truth is. Like that's a beautiful thing, is it not? And that's the amazing thing that happens when you allow God's word to penetrate your heart. When you allow it to change you, you're able to look at the, what the world has to say, what the world has to value. And very quickly you're able to say, that's, that's not of God. God changes our understanding. The gospel changes our understanding. Our society is an individualistic society. Wouldn't you say? It's all about me. Like just listen to the ads and how it, how it speaks to your own what, what's good for you. Have it your way. You ever hear that from something? <laughs> like there's this individualistic worship that happens. Like you do what's best for you. And we, we get away from community and we downplay the importance of family. We downplay the importance of being connected to others. And it's just like do what's best for you. I mean we see that in the way that the world treats marriage, do we not? And some of you have been greatly affected by this because you've been married to somebody who said, you know what? Like, the, I, I deserve to be happy, and I'm not happy, so I'm out. And so you have dealt with the pain of, of the world's values that says live for yourself. And if that means you run people over in the process, so be it. But we weren't created for ourselves, were we? We were created to be part of community. Think about this. How does the world value life, human life? Does it value human life? You know, sadly, I was watching the Olympics, and there was an American who had been disqualified from the Olympics because there were drugs in her system um, because of an abortion she had so she could continue her career in track and field. Now, I, I don't say this in judgment of her. I say that just she's been growing up in a society that says a woman's right is her right, and she can terminate that thing that's not really life inside her, although we know as Christians that that is a life. And so millions upon millions upon millions of humans have been killed in the womb. That's not the case for Christians, for those whom the gospel has gotten a hold of. The gospel changes the way we understand the world. 
And here's the crazy thing about the gospel, too, is we don't look at those who have had abortions. Maybe that's you today, and maybe you've been carrying that weight. The beauty of the gospel says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. And so when we are wronged and we encounter these tragedies in the world, we need to respond differently. I think there's a, there's a sense of from the public, we need to speak against it. But privately, one-on-one, that needs to be a different conversation. If I'm having a conversation of somebody who has destroyed life, I'm not going to be blasting them saying, well, you need to believe in life. That's not how you handle it. And for too many, too, for too many Christians, the gospel is not being lived out in how we interact when, when we disagree. The gospel changes our understanding, and we must, and we do look different. The gospel does make us look di- different from the world. One of the major things that God has done in my life has helped me to live grace-centered. Certainly, I fall short in this area. I do not always respond graciously. But, but when you are overcome with the fact that you have been forgiven of so much, I can't just allow bitterness to reign in me. Like it comes and it stays around for a little bit, but then Jesus comes and and reminds me. That's why we do communion. We're going to do communion later today. It's because like I need to be reminded of his forgiveness for me so that when people sin against me, like like a water off a duck's back, because of his forgiveness for me, the gospel changes our understanding. Look at verse 25. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they sent them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Not only does the gospel change our understanding, but it also changes our direction. The gospel changes our direction. Here you have the apostles. They find out they're... They were missing out of prison, but then they see that they're back in the temple doing the very thing that they arrested them for. And they are wondering why they do this. And notice they're afraid. They're afraid not of God. They're not concerned with the ways of the Lord. They're not concerned with the honor of the Lord. They may say they're God-fearing people, but they don't care what God thinks. They care more of what the people think. And so they're like, hey, can you mind just coming with us here? We don't want to make a scene. Why don't you just come with us? Let's, go, let's talk about this. Like they're trying to hide it. And then they're questioning them, saying, we told you not to speak in this name. And yet, the apostles were so convinced of who Jesus was that it changed the direction of their life. They had new direction. They had a new focus. And so nothing was going to get in the way with that because Jesus had impacted them so much that it changed their understanding to where if their understanding has changed, that means the direction of their life has to change. And so they're all about proclaiming the gospel no matter the cost. Peter and John, remember, they were in prison and threatened earlier in Acts for preaching. And yet, here they are. 
when they encountered Jesus, their lives were changed forever. Three years earlier, they were living different lives, going about their own business. But now, after being in prison twice, they were still carrying out the mission to share the gospel. You know, I'll never forget, uh, around 20 years ago, personally, I was going through a just deep, dark depression. Uh, I was dating a girl and it, that had lasted for two years or so, and she broke up with me, and I was just crushed and lost. And I was in college, and I had changed my major a couple times, had no clear direction of where I wanted to go in life. I failed a couple classes, just didn't know what to do. And it was during that time that I attended a conference, a Freedom in Christ conference. And during that, it was just a, a sweet time to kind of go through your life and evaluate. It. Has, have I allowed sin to reign in any areas of my life that might kind of trip me up to where I'm at today? And it was through that that just found great peace in the Lord. I was saved before then, genuinely so. But this was just a kind of a new piece to remind myself of my, my identity being in Christ. And it was at the end of that conference that they said, if seek the Lord now and, if, and ask the Lord if he may be calling you to ministry. And it was at that place, it was at that time where God called me to full-time ministry. He changed the direction of my life. Now, I don't say that because you should ask yourselves if God should be calling you ministry and everybody should be going to ministry. That's not the case. Certainly, we should always have an open hand. Lord, what do you have for me? But here's the truth and the reality of everything. We are all called to ministry, aren't we not? We are all called to full-time ministry. Some of us will get paid for it. Others of us are just living ministry out in our job places, at our homes, in our schools, we are all called to have a diff our direction in life has been altered because of the glory of Jesus. And now our hearts have been turned to him and we want to live for his glory. As you evaluate your life, what's the direction that you are headed in? Have you come to the understanding of what he has called you to? As you think of the way that you approach your job, I know some of you, and I've had those jobs where I'm like, I can't stand going to my job. <laughs> you wake up in the morning, you're thinking even right now, i got to go back tomorrow. It was a terrible week last week. But when we change our perspective and say, Lord, I, I don't want to go to this place, but you have called me to. And Lord, would you open up a door that I might be able to share the gospel with those around me. Lord, would you help me to live my life in such a way that reflects the gospel. Do you have that conviction in your heart that the place that you're going to, whether you enjoy it or not, is a mission field? Moms, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Do you understand that your greatest mission field is your home? The opportunity you have to proclaim Jesus to your kids, not just in your words, certainly in your words, but also in the way that you live your life. For those who work in secular jobs, would those people look at you, those you work with, would they be able to see a difference? Maybe they wouldn't be able to know you're a Christian, but they would say, man, you're different than what I encounter around me. There's a kindness to you. There's a peace that comes to you. See, we can't justify the hardness of our jobs and our sinful responses because the job's hard. We as Christians... Not, we, we're not perfect at this, but we should be growing in such a way that no matter what we encounter, we're able to attack the hard things in a God-honoring way because he's changed us. 
That's what the gospel does. It changes our direction. No longer do we live for ourselves, but we live for the one who came. He's called us all to be in ministry wherever he's placed us, in your neighborhood, at your jobs, in your school, in your home. No matter what we do, we are called to do everything to the glory of the Lord. Could you say that the direction of your life is that in such a way you are living for the glory of the Lord? Even packing parts that has nothing to do with eternity. Are you doing it for the glory of God? Are you doing it not to be noticed, not to rise up and make more money, but you're doing it because you want God to be honored in the way that you're living? The gospel changes our direction. And when we think about the fact that the gospel changes our direction and it changes our understanding of how we approach the world, those are all, those are both outward expression of a change that's happened inside. We can't, we can't will ourselves to change our understanding. We can't will ourselves to change our direction. Something has to happen inside for us to come to the place where the gospel changes us. And we see that in verses 29 through 32. Look at those again with me. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The gospel changes our understanding, it changes our direction, and all that stems from the fact that the gospel changes our devotion. The gospel changes our devotion. The reason why the apostles were willing to endure prison, to keep preaching no matter the consequences, was because they were captivated by Christ. They couldn't help but obey him. They weren't being forced. They weren't like, oh, I guess we got to preach the gospel because that's what Jesus said we had to do. No, it was like, I can't help it. I have such passion for him. I have such love for him. He has done so much for me. How can I not help but proclaim the good news of Jesus? You see the difference between being forced to do it? Oh, I have to read God's word versus I can't help but read God's word. There's so much good stuff. I get to read about my Savior. Those are two very different motivations. One is man-centered, trying to pull up our bootstraps. The other one is being changed from the inside out because Jesus is doing the work. Their devotion was changed because they came and they encountered the living Christ. They were devoted to him and nothing, no one would sidetrack them from living for God's glory. And you see in verse 28 that we had read previously that the Sanhedrin accused the apostles of bringing the blood of Christ onto them. <laughs> and notice, they wouldn't even say the name of Jesus. They couldn't even say the name of Jesus. Look at it. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They couldn't even say his name. <laughs> and Peter, he, he's not like, well, no, 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 that's not what I meant. <laughs> Don't you love the boldness of Peter? He's just... <laughs> He boldly responds and says, says to them, you are the ones who killed them. You are the ones who are responsible. Yes, I'm bringing the blood upon you because you're guilty. You are the one who put, them, put him on the cross. 
And think about who Peter is talking to. It's not a neighbor across the street. It's not a family member or a coworker or a fellow student. This, these are people who are in authority. People who have the power to imprison him and possibly kill him. And yet he boldly proclaims the fact that you are guilty. But we should not think of this as a slap in the face. This is not Peter trying to one-up them. This is not Peter trying to make them look like fools. This is actually Peter being gracious to tell them the truth. To give them an opportunity to respond to the beauty of Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. It's a great kindness that Peter would say this. They did kill Jesus by hanging him on a tree. And that language there, if you recall, cursed is everyone who is born on a tree. Jesus bore the curse. The one that we are all born with. And the wrath of God is being poured, it's stored up against all mankind. And he will either pour out his wrath on those who don't repent. Or it would have already been poured out on Christ on the cross for those who do repent and believe in Jesus. The cross wasn't a surprise to God or to Jesus, was it? When Jesus came, he knew what he was coming for. And in a massive turn of events, the crucifixion actually served to ter- carry out God's plan. Don't you love how Satan tries to interfere with God's plans and God's like, no, you can't. You can't stop what I'm doing. You're only helping me out. That's how sovereign God is. We should look at that and realize that God isn't like, you know, there's some people who are very crafty who kind of just go with the flow. God doesn't go with the flow. God, God declares what the flow is. Do you understand that? God sets the course of history. He's not surprised. He's not like going to plan B because it didn't work out. Well, okay, Christ died, so let's use it for good. That was Christ's plan. He was crucified before the foundation of the earth we read in the scriptures. This was no surprise. And after his death, God exalted him at his right hand. And it says, he is leader and savior. He is prince. He is the ruler of all. You see, Jesus wasn't just a good man who did a good deed. He was ruler of all. He is ruler of all. He is our leader, the one that we are called to follow. Now, there are some people who said Jesus earned this. He became God after the fact they earned it. But he was God before. Right? In the beginning was the word, John 1. And in the word, in the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus was always God. He didn't earn it because of his good life. He was God. He came fully God and fully man. He is the Savior. And although talks of salvation had already been expressed in the world up to this point, this is like one of the first times where he's actually declared the Savior. Jesus came to save us. Let that rest on your soul this morning. Jesus left heaven where it was comfortable and easy. There was no evil in heaven. But he gave it all to become like us. And he took on human flesh. Look at the screen here as I read Philippians 2 starting in verse 5. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't come and just declare, I'm God, I'm God, bow down to me, you must do what I say. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, even though he was God. He emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, how often do you see in our world those who are high up take a low position? How many do you see who are high up, who are trying to get higher up, who think they are above society? That's what you see. And yet Jesus humbled himself, became a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Why? Why did Jesus come? Why did he give his life? We see that here in Acts this morning. Look at verse 31. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior for what reason? To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. To give repentance and forgiveness to us as well. And here is what we can infer from that. We all need to repent. If he's giving repentance, that means that's something we need. We need to repent. We need to turn away from our sin. Repentance means you're walking one direction, you realize this is the wrong way, and you take a 180 degree turn, and now you're walking a completely different direction. That's repentance. It's understanding I've messed up and I need to change my life. We all need to repent of that. Peter had a need to repent. Peter isn't saying, hey, be like me. He's saying, look, look, I'm part of this. I denied Jesus three times when he was, Jesus was facing the darkest hours of his life before the cross. Peter denied him publicly three times. So Peter wasn't pointing fingers at them. He was letting them know that even though they were guilty of killing Jesus, there was forgiveness. Available for him. Jesus came and secured a real need for us. There is a need for all of us to repent. Have you ever had anyone try to sell you something that you didn't really need? Uh, my parents had bought a car in the last year or so and they had a warranty for it. And so they had some major car troubles and they took it in. And they came to find out it was an electrical issue and it was going to cost like thousands of dollars. And so they're like, well, here's our insurance policy. And guess what wasn't covered under the insurance? <laughs> electrical. If it would have been mechanical, completely good, completely covered, but not electrical. And so thousands of dollars later, they're taking care of the car, but they're having to pay it out of their own pocket. What's the point of, <laughs> what's the, point of the warranty if there was no real coverage for it? And so when, when we understand what this passage is saying, we must come to the conclusion in reality that we all need to repent. And the good news is Jesus came to give repentance. Have you repented of your sins? Have you come to the, the realization that you are broken? 
that you don't get it all right. If you find yourself this morning struggling with the fact is that you're just a continual failure, you're not necessarily in a bad place. For so many people, especially in the church, those who have been raised in the church, for so many people, the problem isn't getting people saved. The problem is getting them lost. Is getting people to realize, no, you need to repent. Yes, yeah, sir, people want to come to Jesus and say, hey, make my life better, Jesus. My life is kind of terrible. Why don't you make it better? Jesus didn't come so that you could have a comfortable, easy life. He came to take away your sin. And let me tell you, it is much more comfortable to live a, a, out of, a, away from sin. Life is way easier when we are living it for the glory of God and we are not taking part in the, our fleshly desires. We all need to repent. And here's the great news. God gives repentance. It's a gift. But that's not all. I feel like an infomercial there. $29.99, not only get it one, but you get two. Here's the beauty of it. That's not all. Not only does he give repentance, but he gives forgiveness. He gives forgiveness. Because there is a need for repentance, there is a need to be forgiven. We could say, I messed up. But if there's not reception on the other side, right, we, we're, we're good at that. We're good at holding back. Well, you repented. I need some time to get over this. And Jesus says, Repent and I will forgive you. There is a need to be forgiven. We have all sinned against holy God. And because of that sin, he has, we are separated from him. All we like she have gone astray. Each of us have turned our, our own way. And there is nothing we can do to earn forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to make God say, okay, the, the slate has been wiped clean. There's nothing we can do in, of ourselves. We are hopeless. We, so that's why you come to the end of yourself and realize, I, I'm terrible. It's a good place to be. Because Jesus says, I was perfect so that I can save you from how terrible you are. You've heard me quote this verse probably hundred times, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Can you feel the implications of that? Completely and utterly guilty before perfect God, the blood is on our hands. Video evidence has confirmed that we are guilty over and over again. And when we confess what is already clearly true, amazingly God forgives us. Last week I shared a little bit of the story of Jim Elliott. And the missionaries who went to Ecuador and four of them were murdered by the Alka Indians. Now let's help bring the gospel to a clear understanding this morning. Imagine being the spouse of one of those missionaries. You had spent so many hours, days, maybe even years, dreaming of reaching an unreached people group. And your opportunity arrives. And you send your spouse over to go meet the Indians for the first time. But then you never see them again. Because they were murdered for their kindness to share the gospel. Elizabeth Elliot was married to Jim for just 27 months. They had a baby daughter 
as well when he was killed. How would you feel? How would you feel towards those Indians who took away, maybe you were even a kid, you were, it was your dad who was taken away. How would you feel? And yet, Elizabeth Elliot doesn't hold bitterness, doesn't harbor bitterness. In fact, she ends up going back with her kids, and amazingly, the Alka Indians, many of them were converted to Christ. They forgave. She wiped clean their slate. She didn't hold it against them. And that's what Jesus does for us. If you are struggling with the weight of your sin this morning, let me remind you that God is faithful. If you confess, he is faithful to forgive. Through our repentance, he grants forgiveness. Should we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. We don't keep sinning that we get more grace. But when we do mess up, we know that there is grace upon grace for us. He forgives us of our sin. Does that sink in this morning? And so when we sing of the glory of Jesus Christ, and we're emotional about it, I get emotional about it. It's not because of the song or the, or the way the music is being played. Because I'm overwhelmed with the fact that I deserve hell. I deserve eternal punishment. And yet Jesus has granted me forgiveness. And guys, let me just say, I am a big screw-up. Ask Nikki afterwards. She'll let you know. I don't get it right. I mess up a lot of times. And my only hope is the fact that Jesus has already paid the price for us. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never repented of your sin. And maybe you feel like, who am I that God would be mindful of you? Let me encourage you by saying we're all in the same, pla same place. Nobody here was saved because God looked down and saw potential in us. We were dead. There's no potential in death. Did you realize that? Dead things are dead. There's no use for dead things. But Jesus came while we were still, while we were lost, while we were dead. He made us alive. And so you don't have to perform. You don't have to get it right. You have to come to the point where you realize you can't get it right. And then you repent of your sin and he, you receive forgiveness. And it opens up the door for the gospel to change you. And let me encourage you with that believer. Maybe you are a believer, but you're just like, then why do I keep screwing up? One of the action points at the end is going to be Philippians, memorize Philippians 1.6. It says, and he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's a process. He's renewing us day by day. gospel changes everything. It saves us and it conforms us to the image of Christ. You know, this morning, uh, we're going to conclude our service by taking communion. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up now. What an excellent way for us to finish out. And maybe for you, maybe this morning, you've even repented. Maybe you've come to the realization. Maybe you've been raised in the church, but you realize that, man, my life isn't different but I repent of that. I place my trust in Jesus that you can take part in communion today. There's nothing magical that happens with taking the bread and the juice. We're not saved because we take them. We're not, we don't lose our salvation by not taking them. It's a chance for us to remember. And so if you are an unbeliever, please just remain at your seats. If you are dealing with 
unrepentant sin in your life. As a believer, let me encourage you to, to deal with that before you take the elements. And maybe it's best to just stay in your seats today and deal with the Lord with that. But for all of us, you know, sometimes, and I, I am guilty of this, I make communion kind of a heavy thing, and it should be. But it's also a time to celebrate, is it not? When we take the bread and remember Jesus' body that was broken for us, we take the juice and remember the blood that was shed on our behalf, that should leave us overwhelmed. Yes, we repent, but we're also so aware of his forgiveness that we can stand here this morning free in Christ. Is that not amazing to you? You're guilty, but Jesus declares you innocent. Not because of anything that you have done, but because of what he has done. So let me invite you to stand now. I'm going to pray over this. The band's going to sing. I invite you to sing with it as we cast our minds to Calvary where Jesus bled and he died for me. Let that overwhelm you this morning so that when you respond in song, you're not just looking at words on a screen, but you're looking at the words. How does it relate to scripture Jesus has forgiven me. How could I not celebrate? How can we not worship? The gospel changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blood of Christ that has been shed for us. God, we are forgiven not because of anything that we have done, but according to your mercy. Lord, that when we repent, you forgive. What an amazing transaction, Lord. We are worthy of condemnation, and yet you offer forgiveness. So if there are those who are carrying the heavy weight of their sin, Lord, would you help them to cast it off this morning? Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And Lord, if there are those who are uncertain of their eternity, God, would you give them the courage to come forward at the end and talk to one of the elders, Lord? They'd be willing to work through it, Lord. And if there are believers who are under, like they've lost their understanding of their first love. They've lost the understanding of what Christ has done. Would you renew it this morning? Would you give them a fresh joy so that when they leave the building today and they go out into a hostile world, they take the good news of Jesus, not because they're supposed to, but because they can't help but share the good news that has been given to them. Oh Lord, Lord, motivate us from the inside out. Change our understanding. Show us where we are missing the way, Lord. Show us where our direction has gotten off path and we're starting to live for ourselves rather than you, God. Bring us back to you. Not because of pulling up our own bootstraps, Lord, but just renewing our minds in Christ. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to remember this morning. May you draw us to yourself. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more thing. There are... It's bread underneath the juice. And so make sure you grab both cups that are stacked on each other. So I'll come dismiss you by rows, but let's respond and worship. And we'll take the elements here shortly.